Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bounds Dietitian Podcast. I hope that you are doing so, so, so wonderful today. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast. I'm really pumped that you are here. If you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast where we talk about all things food, body, and mind. Today we are talking about mindfulness. So we're going to review what is mindfulness and how does that apply to our recovery from an eating disorder, from diet culture in the healing process. How do we bring in mindfulness to support our recovery? And when is it maybe not appropriate to bring in mindfulness? So today with me, I have Sharon Benin, who is a holistic nutritionist, certified eating counselor, mindfulness meditation teacher, and the founder of her nutrition practice called Welcome Home. So she helps women heal their relationship with food and their body and their authentic self through intuitive eating and anti-diet approach that's rooted in mindfulness, self-compassion, and embodiment. I'm so excited to have Sharon with us today to talk about all things mindfulness. Before we jump into this podcast episode, if you can do me a big favor and click pause or keep listening to me as you do this, go to your Apple podcast app, go to the Balanced Dietitian podcast, scroll to the bottom and leave us a rating and review. It means so, so much to us when you do so. It really allows us to reach more people with this message. And if you agree with me, if you've been listening to the podcast episode, we want this message to be spread. Like we want our culture to become anti-diet. That is our goal. So if you want to be part of that mission with me, I really, 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 really appreciate you taking 90 seconds today to do that for us. And if you do send me your screenshot on Instagram, what I'm going to be doing this week is I'm going to be drawing out of all the people who leave us a review and offering you a free coffee from your favorite spot. So your next coffee is on me. Just leave us a quick rating and review and send me the screenshot on Instagram at The Balanced Dietitian. All right, on that note, let's welcome Sharon to this podcast. Hey, Sharon, how are you today? Hi, Melissa. I am wonderful. How are you doing? I am doing so, so good. I'm glad that we get to connect today, and I'm glad that we like chose the topic of mindfulness because I feel like it's something that is talked a lot about. But there's a lot of weird information around it, too. So I'm glad that today we get to like sit down and have these conversations together. Me, too. I think it is one of those topics in the area of intuitive eating and the anti-diet space that we hear a lot about and don't always unpack it or it's taken at face value or even worse, sometimes it is misconstrued. So I'm so excited that we're going to unpack this today. 
Yeah, me too. And I know just right before breast recovery, also like sometimes like diet culture kind of like co-ops that term in terms of like different diets. So I'm excited to unpack. But before we get into the subject of mindfulness, could you um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, what you do, and what is your origin story? What got you to do the work that you do today? Yes, thank you. I'm Sharon Bannon. I am a holistic nutritionist. I am based in Toronto, and I'm also a certified mind, um, a certified intuitive eating counselor, certified mindfulness meditation teacher, and a yoga teacher. So I bring all of these different modalities together in the work that I do. I work one-on-one with women, and I'm going to launch a group program in the fall, but I got started. Um, I was <laughs> kind of like a lot of people did a pivot in the last few years or so, and I found myself going back to school after working for about 14, 15 years as a healthcare lawyer. And I just had this opportunity to reevaluate where I was going in life and decide that I didn't want to continue on that path and that my heart was really calling for me to do something where I could connect more intimately with people still in the realm of health, but where I was able to have more of a one-on-one impact. So I found myself in nutrition school and I did not initially think I was going to practice in the area of intuitive eating, which is quite interesting because that is my personal healing journey. I was a binge eater for about 20 years and I had ups and downs with that. I thought I had come to a place where I was good. I thought that I had made peace with food and my body and issues resurfaced for me while I was studying nutrition. And I realized that even through a holistic lens, there was a big piece missing when it came to how we approach food. And I I found that there was even, you know, in a holistic realm, an emphasis on dieting. And it wasn't so explicit for the purpose of weight loss, but it was really more of like, the wellness diet, where Mm. there was a lot of restriction, there were a lot of like so called rules around clean eating or avoiding large categories of foods or types of foods that were demonized. And that personally, for me did not sit well. And I, I took a step back and I thought, how am I going to take this in a practice setting and apply this to my clients? in a way that's going to be helpful and not hurtful for somebody who does have a history, whether it's binge eating or another type of disordered eating. And I really had to think about like, where, how do I want, how do I want to show up as a nutritionist? And it didn't feel great for me to think about taking this model exactly the way I was taught. So I kind of went through my own little journey while I was in school and came to realize that I would have to make some adjustments and um, one thing led to another and then it kind of coincided with this rise of popularity of intuitive eating which I think is wonderful I think that this is an approach that it really serves so many people and it's so refreshing to see this growing so that that's kind of how I landed there and then I did the training with Evelyn and Elise and became certified as an intuitive eating counselor. That is so awesome. Like, thank you so much for sharing that. I think first of all, like your background as a health lawyer and transitioning into this is like very interesting. I love it. Um, But then also like your experience in nutrition school and holistic nutritionist, like 
I, I have a couple of friends who's done that program and like they had the same experience. I think a little bit more than like in our registered dietitian program, it's a little bit less wellness. It's a lot more like clinical, like very like disease oriented. Whereas like they were talking about this piece of like the wellness culture kind of diving into the holistic nutrition and like very much the morality of food that kind of ties into it, into the program. So it's so cool that you were able to be like, wait, that doesn't work. Like that doesn't sit right with me. And like being able to make that transition. Cause yeah, I think that's really cool that you were able to, ha to have that like mindset and be like, I want things to be different for me and for my clients. Like that's really, really neat. Yeah. Thanks. It, it was an interesting revelation. And I'm so, I'm so glad it was. Sometimes it's like life hands you the answers you need without you necessarily knowing that's the right thing for you. So that was very much my experience. And I think that actually really comes back to the power of tuning in and listening to your body's wisdom, because that was a huge piece of it for me. Like if I had not spent the time for years cultivating my inner wisdom, cultivating mindfulness, I don't know that I would have been able to listen to those signs that my body was telling me, wait, something's not right here. So mm -hmm. just proves that it's not just about food, that this approach to eating is, it's really an approach to living. Oh, I love that. And I'm really curious to know, like, have you always been very mindful and intuitive? Like, is that something that like, for you has been part of your journey? Or do you find that it's something that you had to do work maybe when you were a lawyer or whatever the case may be that you had to that work to tune in or was that something that for you has always been there? Mm. So it was definitely a slow build. I, when I started my career as a lawyer, I definitely was not in tune with my inner wisdom. I very much lived my life according to what I thought I was supposed to do. And a lot of that was based on these external expectations. And year after year, I think it slowly dawned on me, okay, what am I doing? Like, whose, whose expectations am I trying to fulfill here? Is this really about doing what my heart and soul wants? Or am I trying to just, you know, am I, am I getting, um, you know, mixed signals from this external noise? And it, it was really a gradual process. So I did discover yoga, meditation, mindfulness, and I think over time, there wasn't like one defining moment. It was kind of a little, little by little, I realized that, um, you know what, I can tune inward and that's, that's where my compass is. And that's where my North star is. And that if I really learn to tune in and trust that, that's going to guide me in the best direction for my life. And that's mm -hmm. kind of, kind of how it unfolded for me. Uh, I love that you have that inner knowing because I feel like my experience was like so come almost the opposite like I didn't have that like wisdom of like oh but if only I trusted myself like I can't trust myself like for me it was like I cannot trust myself that's the last thing on earth that I can do and it took so long to be like and like a lot of trial and error to be like okay yes <laughs> this is okay um so that's really really interesting so let's talk a little bit about that piece of like mindfulness could we like I guess just start with like base level like what does it actually mean to be mindful like what is mindfulness yeah so one of the most common definitions of mindfulness is purposefully bringing your awareness or your attention to your experience of the present moment 
So that is whatever comes up for you, whether that's in your mind, in your body, sensations, it's really tuning into that, being with it, and you are not having any judgment around it. You're just allowing it to show up for you. So that's kind of, you know, you want to put a definition on it. So what the way you can cultivate mindfulness is traditionally we think of it through a meditation practice and a seated meditation practice, that classic meditation, that's great. That, that works for a lot of people. It's certainly a wonderful way to tune in and build up your, your mindfulness muscle. However, that's not the only way. You can cultivate mindfulness through movement. You can cultivate mindfulness through singing, chanting. There's so many different ways. It's really any activity that you do can be mindful as long as you are purposefully bringing your awareness to your experience in the present moment. Mm, I love that. And I really love the emphasis on without judgment. Like it's not sitting with your thoughts and being an asshole to yourself the whole time that you're like checking in. It's really this allowment of like, I, I see a lot of like space. It's like creating a lot of space where we're just able to be, but without judgment, I think is really, really, really key. Yeah. And it is really key. And I think that's the hardest part, especially when yeah. it comes to this intuitive eating anti-diet context, because having no judgment, as we know, is so much easier said than done because mm -hmm. the very nature of diet culture is to judge. Like judging is, is, is at the core of, of what diet culture is all about. It's judging you for what you're eating, for what you look like, for not having enough willpower. So it's judgment, judgment, judgment. And this is why I think it's a really important discussion to have because I think that for some people, um, mindfulness, especially the non-judging part of it, seems so out of reach because mm -hmm. how do you go from having this intense focus on judgment to then saying, oh, just release all judgment, right? That, that's a, it's, it's kind of a conundrum for people. And, and I, yeah. I see that that's where a lot of people get tripped up. I don't know if you notice this as well in your clients, but for me, it's, this is a really interesting sticking point. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Cause it, you're right. It's almost like it doesn't feel achievable if we haven't really experienced it um, as much. And I think um, I'd love for us to go through maybe like simple steps that people can take, but something that I find interesting, and I don't know what your thoughts is about that. Like we'll often say things such as like, we are all born intuitive eaters. Like we're all born with this inner knowing this trust that we can rely on ourselves that like, that's just the way that we are designed as people. Would you say the same with mindfulness? Like, are we all born mindful or is that a skill that we need to acquire? I think it's, there are definitely parallels to intuitive eating. I think absolutely when we are babies, we are completely immersed in a mindful experience with life because we don't have all these distractions. We don't have noise. We're just living in our purest essence of of who we are. And um, as we get older, then we start to hear, you know, lessons and messages. And we're so like little kids are like sponges and they pick up things from everywhere. And then that all kind of builds this composite um, identity of, of who they are and how they interact with the world. And just like we get pulled away from our innate ability to eat intuitively, I do think that we get pulled away from our innate ability to be mindful but that 
that ability, it's always there. Like nobody is not able to be mindful. It's, it's innate in everybody. It just, sometimes we need to come back to it a little bit of practice, but it can be reawakened. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I like, and I love that. And I feel like, and I don't know if you would say the same, like, I feel like our world is not designed really to be mindful, especially in 2022. Like it is very easy. I find to live like a mindless life, like very distracted, like things go fast. Like we're always reaching the next thing, doing the next thing. There's so much to do, or we're distracted on our phone. Like we're always like oversaturated with information that I find it. It's almost like the world's not super set up for us to be mindful. So in my opinion, like it has to be something very intentional if we decide to be mindful or reconnect to that ability that we have. You're so right. And I think that not only is the world not set up for us to be mindful, I think in so many ways it is actually detract. It's a, it's a massively detracting us from being mindful, almost as if we are being pulled out of our inner knowing, right? It's almost it's like odd, we are eh? living outside of ourselves. <clears throat> And that's why it's so, I think it's so important not only to think of mindfulness as in the mind, even though that's part of the word, it's really, it's not just about being in our head. It's about being in our body. It's like a full somatic sense of knowing, like it's mindfulness and bodyfulness. And, you know, we're sitting all day long. We're kind of always like rushing to do so many things. We're not aware of what we're putting in our body. We're not, we're not paying attention to how it makes us feel. So it's a mind body thing. It's mindfulness and bodyfulness, but mm-hmm. yes, um, the, the antidote to that though, is that we can just consciously make a choice to come back to ourselves and, and cultivate that it's always there for us. Mm, I love, love that so much. Could we talk maybe about ways that we can start? Like, I don't know if you have like, you know, the first three steps, like if someone's listening to this and being like, I want this. And even myself, like, I mean, I'm not always mindful. I know it's something that I constantly want to work on, but what would be some step that someone can start taking in order to be more mindful? Like, what does that look like day to day? Mm, Yeah. So that's always like the, that's the kind of like the magic question. Like, how do I start? Mm -hmm. So I like to encourage you to start in the most simple way possible so that it's accessible and it's not overwhelming. So I like to teach this little practice. I call it the mindful minute and it really only takes a minute and you can do it at any time. I especially encourage my clients to do it right before they eat one time during a meal and then after they eat. And all it is, is you can keep your eyes open or closed. Just make an intention to ground yourself take a few deep breaths, just turn inward and ask yourself, how do I feel in this moment? And it's really just allowing yourself to connect with any inner sensations that might arise in your body, any thoughts that might arise in your brain. You're not going to dwell on the thoughts, but you're going to take note of them and just check in. Like, is my head running a mile a minute? Is my body screaming at me with hunger? Or is it saying, no, food isn't really what I need in this moment. It doesn't matter what comes up. It's all good. These are all your body's signals. And just sit with that for a moment, kind of let that sink in, take a few more deep breaths. And then from there, you can consciously ask yourself, how am I going to best meet my needs in this moment? Based on what my body is telling me, what do I need? And then you can make a choice for how to honor yourself. 
I love that so much, like breaking it down to like a minute of check-in. Like, I think that could be so cool. And I love how you attach it to something we already do. Like when we think of like creating habits, like I'm very big on like habit stacking, like <laughs> mix your habit with something that you already have. We're already eating multiple times a day. So it could be an easy way to allow ourselves to check in. And when you we started this episode, you talked about this piece of But sometimes it's hard to not judge yourself because we're basically trained to judge yourself, to shame ourselves. Like that's very much diet culture. How would you recommend that to a client who they're like, well, every time I check in, every time I tune in, every time I become aware of all my internal thoughts, that like self-critic is real high or I'm like constantly judging myself. Like how can we navigate that? Mm, yeah, that's really like the two sides of the mindfulness coin, I think. So you have mindfulness on one side, you flip it over, and there you have self-compassion. And I think mindfulness and self-compassion, they, they really go hand in hand because, yes, we all do have that inner critic or that, you know, the diet police or whatever you want to call those harsh inner voices. And at the same time, we have the ability to be kind to ourselves. We can say to ourselves, that's normal. I'm not feeling like I'm in a great place in this moment, or, you know, I'm, I'm speaking harshly to myself. I'm catching myself, criticizing myself. And then again, it's with that same technique of like pause, notice what's coming up and then making a conscious choice of how to respond. And I always say, try to respond in a compassionate voice. And so some people that's not a natural instinct. So a little trick you can use is to ask yourself, how would you speak to a friend or a child or a loved one in that moment? Mm -hmm. And are you speaking to yourself in that voice? And if not, can you speak to yourself as you would a close friend or a loved one? And then you can ask yourself, how would I want that person to respond to me And then you can offer yourself that response. And that's, it's a way of being self-compassionate and it's giving yourself some self-care in that moment. And I find that that is a good antidote to the, the judgment that comes up. It's just treat it with self-compassion. Mm, I love that too. And we have a few episodes on self-compassion too. So if you guys listening want to learn more on our self-compassion, because I don't know how we heal from diet culture without self-compassion. Like I really do believe that it needs to be part of our journey too. Um, and something that I always like to add for my clients, because I'm very much this person that I'm like, okay, I have all my tools. I'm learning all of this. This sounds all good. And then the moment comes, I'm like doing the thing. And I'm like, I forget all my tools. I'm like, how do I do? What do I do? So having like post-its or cueing yourself, like I know I used to write, like, especially around compassion, like how would I speak to like for me it was my partner like how what would I say to me Anthony like what would I say to him in this moment and having that nearby so when I would do those mindfulness exercises like I would see that paper and remind myself of like okay I'm not being a douche to myself today what would I say to someone else so I can say it to myself like cueing yourself in those moments because I know for me but I know a lot of my clients are like that too like I know the tools but when it comes to time to try to use them like that voice may be so high that it's It's hard to access. So I think those are really, really great things that we're able to do and start bringing it in. I'm just stopping this wonderful, mindful podcast episode to tell you about my free class. If you're listening to this and you're really connecting to this mindfulness piece, when you're really connecting to this piece of like wanting to be empowered, wanting to 
be in control, right? Really stop letting diet culture control your everyday life. This class is gonna be so, so good for you. In this class, we're gonna talk about how we can actually have food freedom and become empowered. How do we actually regain our control with food so we can like stop allowing food controlling us like we want that battle to stop we want to move forward we want to feel good with food and this class is so good because we are going to go through exactly that and um, i'm going to teach you the three biggest mistakes that folks make when they are doing this work and my framework so the steps that i actually take with all of my clients through this work to have true food freedom so if you want all the tips, if you want all the juice, all the deets, go check it out. You can go to www.thebalancepractice.com for slash sign up or sign up period, nothing else after. <laughs> so you can sign up today, find a time that works for you, watch the class and change your relationship with food. On that note, let's get back to the episode. Um, but I'm also curious, like what your, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I'm curious your thoughts about who is mindfulness for? Like, is there times where maybe mindfulness is not appropriate for someone or that we maybe not the good time to use it or any, any precautions that we would want to add here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a really important aspect. And so one thing that <clears throat> can be a barrier to mindfulness is trauma. And that's because if you have experienced trauma and we all have, whether it's like a little T trauma, not, I don't mean to say insignificant, but a relatively minor form of trauma or a big T trauma, which is something a lot more profound, wherever on that spectrum you are, that is um, that can make it really hard to tune inward, especially if your trauma had anything to do with your bodily integrity. So for if, you know, if, if you've been through something like that, even the act of closing your eyes and turning inward, which is a common cue in mindfulness meditation, that can feel really scary. So not everybody feels that sense of safety when they can try to connect with their body. And sometimes trauma can dissociate you from your body. So it takes you out of your body or you feel this fragmented sense of connection. And so the classic approach to mindfulness is not necessarily going to feel very good. And my belief is mindfulness should feel good. You should never force yourself to do it because it, you know, it should be an act of self-care and it should feel comforting. It should, it's not always going to feel easy. Like sometimes it's hard and boring to sit if that's your practice. But the trauma part of it, I think we have to be really respectful of that. Mm -hmm. And somebody who has experienced trauma, it doesn't mean that they can't access mindfulness, they may have to make adjustments. So maybe if they are going to do a mindfulness practice, they don't, you don't close your eyes or you, you know, give yourself some extra self-compassion and you say, if anything comes up for me that feels uncomfortable or unsafe, I'm not going to do it. I can, I can stop the practice at any time. I don't have to take myself down this road where I feel vulnerable. And then another thing is if somebody is really struggling with trauma, it might be a good idea to seek support from a therapist and, and try to unpack some of that. That can be very helpful for people, whether that's little T trauma or big T trauma. So the approach mm -hmm. will be different for everyone, but I do, um, you know, I, I encourage my clients if that's something that uh, is 
you know, causing them challenge that they try to get some support. I don't offer that support because I'm not a therapist. And so sometimes you want to have like a, a tag team effort or have mm-hmm. a whole team approach to it. But those are some, mm-hmm. those are some techniques that can be helpful. Yeah. And like, thank you so much for wording that. Cause I think sometimes, especially in the diet culture world, there's always this like one size fits all of like, everybody needs to do mindfulness. Anybody, everybody needs to do it this way, that way, blah, blah, blah. And the truth is that it never is that way. Like it always depends. It always varies. And we wanted to make it like work for us. So if any type of practice creates distress, it ain't ideal. <laughs> like that's not what that's we want right. to do. So I think um, I'm, I'm really grateful that you, you did write that up and also giving that ourselves that permission of like, anytime we do something, like we do get to opt out. Like we don't need to continue through something that doesn't feel good. And I think that's something that like, you know, through leaving diet culture, we start building that trust and we start being able to give ourselves that agency and autonomy to decide, to be able to say like, no, I won't pursue this. Like, even if I'm in a class, like I get to walk out if it doesn't feel good for me. Like I get to advocate for what feels good. So I really, I really like that you've mentioned that, that we just, it's not always for everyone at every time. And we do get to, yeah, opt out if it's not good for us at that time. Mm -hmm, Right. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious to know, so we've talked about mindfulness and I know like being a registered dietitian, very similar um, with you being a nutritionist. Like, I think we often bring like mindfulness with food. <laughs> like it's very much often related, right? Like being mindful with food and mindful experience. So we can be intentional and enjoy the food, but I'd love to talk about how mindfulness can also appear in other areas of our life, like maybe non-food related. Like how do we bring mindfulness in our day-to-day and other activities, like how would that look like? Uh, Well, I love to bring mindfulness into the whole exercise piece of day-to-day life Mm. because this is an area that a lot of my clients um, actually have some challenges with. Some people, um, you know, especially if they're kind of recovering from diet culture, there is, you know, I see a lot of over-exercising or compulsive exercising. And again, that mindful pause is so great when you are thinking about starting your day and what kind of movement you want to have in your day. And not every day is going to be, be the same. Your body's going to feel different from day to day. And I, I think it's always so helpful to ask, tune in, what does my body need today? What is, what, you know, what's coming up? Do I feel like I have the energy for a full on hit workout or would I do better today with some gentle yin yoga, whatever it is. So, and and also to do that while you're doing it as well, because I think sometimes there's this mentality that once you start, whether it's a class or, you know, you've set a time limit, like I'm going to do this for 30 minutes, but you know, 10 minutes in, you're not feeling so great. Again, it's giving yourself that permission to adjust, Mm -hmm. to completely change course. You can stop doing what you're doing. You don't have to commit to this you know, set time, it's really going by what feels right in your body. So I think that's a really, that's kind of a nice pair. It's really important to bring the mindfulness into the eating, also into the movement. And it actually can shift your whole mentality around movement where it's not seen as something that's part of a daily regimen. It's just my body wants to move today. How am I going to honor the way it wants to move? It just is a more gentle Mm -hmm. approach, I, I think. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And it's, it's funny, because we'll all always like often we'll use like that mindfulness with like body connections of the way that we get to connect to our body. And like, 
again, that peace without judgment that we continuously work towards, um, but especially with movement and allowing ourselves. And I love it. It's like not judging the frequency, the like the intensity or the duration of movement, but really able to tune in of like, this feels good for me right now. This doesn't feel good for me right now. Um, I'll give it an example for me of this morning, like literally got myself a new bike this week and wanted to start training because it has like clips, which I'm like, I feel like a real athlete now, like <laughs> legit clips on the bike, but I need to practice because I'm like not very good and I don't feel very confident on it. So this morning I had planned a workout on my bike or a movement on my bike and I literally did four minutes and I was like, this is enough for me. It no longer feels good. It doesn't feel great. And like, you do get to stop and there's no judgment of like, it didn't do enough and now I need to do more or anything like that. But it's really that piece of allowing yourself to check in and be like, it doesn't feel safe or good for my body to do this anymore. Like I am allowed to stop and move on and that's okay. And there's nothing else that accompanies that choice. It just is. And I think that's like such a powerful thing when we get back that piece of, I get to make those decisions based on me, not based on what the clock said of how long I should work out or what the plan said I should do or whatever the case is. It's just me, <laughs> like me deciding for me, which is super powerful. Yeah, it's so powerful. And it's so beautiful because you're really, that's the best way to honor your needs and your desires is your body's going to let you know. It's always letting you know. So when you tap into it, it's really like, it's kind of like this key to happiness. It's like, you are honoring what's real for you. So yeah, thanks for sharing. I love that example. Yeah, no, and I love that. And I, I want to add here for listeners, I was not always this person. <laughs> like, because I know sometimes like I, I used to hear that when I was in my journey and I hear people, especially with food being like, I just listen to my body and I stop when I'm full. And I was like, BS, like this does not work. Like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't even understand that. But it is true. Like the more that you practice and actually learn to trust, like it's weird almost, but like really amazing that like you do, you can get to that place of just really be more in line and listen and trust, mm-hmm. which I think and, is awesome. Yeah. And, and there is a, I think there is a distinction and you said something that kind of um, uh, twigs something for me is this idea that like it's, it's not sometimes mindfulness is not always presented in a sincere way in diet culture. Yeah. Like I think we, we have seen many examples of where diet culture has tried to co-opt mindfulness and it is presented as not a way to tune into your own wisdom, but it's presented as a way to basically limit what you're Restrict. eating, to cut back, to like all for the purpose of weight loss. And I just caution people to be careful about that like if you're new to mindfulness just be very wary that there is you know information out there that it's diet culture in disguise um, and a classic example is eating slowly so chewing your food really mindfully there is even a practice it's called fletcherizing which is a chewing your food for like 32 times and that was done so that you slow down your food intake and basically you eat less that's actually not about true mindfulness. It's not about responding to what your body needs. That is a deliberate slowing down for a very specific outcome. So that's great. There's actually, you know, it it is good to eat slowly. It's really good for your digestion, but the truth is that's not true mindfulness for the purpose of cultivating your own inner awareness. 
So I just, just yeah. put that out there as a caution that uh, <laughs> like yeah. so many things, diet culture has also co-opted mindfulness. Yeah, a hundred percent. And man, gosh, I could talk about this forever, but it's <laughs> annoying, yeah. but I like that. Like it's that piece of red flags of like, I think the intention is everything of like, the intention of being mindful should not necessarily be in a way to shrink our body or to change, right? It should not be a way to restrict, but more so, like you said, like cultivating that self-choice and that like inner wisdom, which is what we're working towards, not this piece of, if I am mindful, I will eat less because that's not necessarily the case. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not the intention. Mindfulness is not a tool to control. It's a tool Mm -hmm. to connect with your truth, not to Ooh, I love that. outsource to some external yeah. set of rules. Yeah. Yeah. Could we talk maybe, and um, I'm just curious, like when you think of like all the folks that you support through their own healing journey from diet culture, like what role does mindfulness play with that? Like how does mindfulness actually support the healing process? Mm-hmm. I believe that it's one of the core tools of the healing process. And I think mm-hmm. that Um, it's an essential tool to eat intuitively because mindfulness is, it's kind of the gateway to interoceptive awareness. And so for anyone who's not familiar with the term interoceptive awareness, interoception is basically a felt sense of your inner body. So it's a, it's body awareness, kind of like bodyfulness is a term I used earlier. So interoception awareness is your inner guidance system and it's tuning into what your body's telling you. And this can manifest as hunger signals, fullness signals, uh, palatability, what flavors, what tastes are appealing to your taste buds. So all of these are ways that our body communicates with us and they play such an important role in the whole eating experience. So mindfulness is a way to tap into your interoceptive awareness. They're kind of, they kind of go hand in hand again. Um, just like with self-compassion. So I think if you are not cultivating mindfulness, it's really difficult to truly tap into the power of intuitive eating because so much of it relies on on your inner your inner wisdom and the whole intuitive eating framework, the principles, they either help cultivate interoceptive awareness or they help remove the barriers to it. So that is why I put um, mindfulness front and center in how I help people. And I don't ever suggest that somebody needs to engage in a formal seated meditation practice, but I do encourage people in small ways every day, even if it's just that mindful minute practice that we went through, that's a way slowly to build up that muscle. And it really is like a muscle. And the more you flex it, the stronger it becomes. And then the the more um, second nature it becomes, It, it should actually kind of be a seamless part of your life. Like it doesn't have to exist in its own box. Like eventually you'll get to a point where you just can eat every decision around food or movement or anything in your life. You just approach it in a mindful way because you are relying on what feels good, what feels right, and what's going to best serve your highest interest. I love that so much. And I love that you said like, it's like a muscle that we practice and that eventually it becomes second nature because it, when you're going from that place of so much body disconnection and distress, like it can feel like a big jump to think about it, but knowing that it's a process that we slowly go through like any other skills that we have. But what's cool with the skill like this one is that it's a, it is a lifetime skill. Like once you have acquired it and then it becomes second nature, 
it makes it easy. The same way, I guess, that like self-critic, your self-criticism becomes second nature for some of us when we're so knee-deep in diet culture, but now we're kind of switching, switching the tune and putting something else in. So yeah. for it to not look like a mountain of like, it's so hard to become so intuitive and mindful that actually, no, it's like baby steps along the way. And it's actually, because I think we're meant to function that way, we do get to go back to that. Like we're just like coming home to something we already have. So it's trying to like break it to pieces. So it's not that, I want, I want to say like, it's not that hard, not that difficult. It's just a process that we go through. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's, um, it is a practice and that's why you have to kind of make this intention every day to bring that into your actions and, and your approach to how you make decisions. But it, yeah, the, the mechanics of it are very simple, but actually like embodying it is it it's not the most simple thing like I'm, I'm not going to pretend that this is super easy you know mm-hmm. like I, a lot of people struggle with it I, I struggle with it too and I've been practicing for years so it is a daily practice but it's really it's there like you have you have it and it's just mm-hmm. making that choice I'm gonna I'm gonna tune into this I'm gonna flex this muscle a little bit more today and yeah um, kind of kind of how it goes and it's it, there's really no destination it's it's very much a it's the journey not the destination kind of a thing mm-hmm. it's always a it's a work in progress yeah I love it and like in my in my head I'm like there's also not like a wrong way like uh, I don't know like I feel like it's a type of work that like when you do tune in like whether some days are like easier to do versus harder like there's no right or wrong way it's always this like you said this practice of asking like just the fact that we stop and ask is awesome. Like just the fact that we're able to like check in is huge because that in itself builds new connections. Like that we've stopped our day, took a deep breath and asked ourselves, like they're just so big victories that we're able to do in that way that really do make a huge impact in terms of our ability to, to continue to connect. So huge. And even just the simple, the act of that, the pause and the asking, what you're doing is you're basically taking yourself out of autopilot and you're stepping into your own empowerment and you're, you're yeah. recognizing I'm, I'm, I'm running this, I'm driving this bus here and there's always going to be noise everywhere from every which way, but it's in that moment where you step away and you say, no, I'm going to, you know, take my power back. And it, it, it's transformative. Like it sounds like, almost like an over-exaggeration, but it's, it's having multiple of these transformative moments throughout yeah. your day. It just like, it amplifies. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so, so big. No, I love that so, so much. Um, last question for you is what do you think are like maybe some like common barriers that people who are trying to do this work that they maybe come across? I know we've named a few during this, this episode, but what can we do to maybe overcome those barriers? Mm. Yeah, I think really starting small and not putting pressure on yourself that you have to like excel at mindfulness because there is no such thing. There is uh, just only returning to the practice and having a willingness to keep at it. I think that mindset piece is really important. So coming to it with that and taking it easy and being easy on yourself. This is supposed to be an act of self-care. So want to be kind to yourself that the self-compassion I, I can't over I can't overstate that especially for someone who has experienced trauma that just you know we've talked about that but just really being gentle and self-compassionate and making adjustments and um, 
you know, every, every moment is a, a chance to try again. It's kind of a cliche, but really it is a moment to moment practice. So mm -hmm. if it didn't work for you in the morning, try again in, you know, in the afternoon, it's, you, you just can't, um, can't really go wrong. It's really just kind of a yeah. forward looking one step at a time. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think like this episode was so, so, so good. So let's finish with our fun questions. Um, question, first question for you is what is your favorite food? Oh gosh, right now I'm really loving fresh fruit. It's in season. It's so juicy and delicious. So I'm uh, definitely having some delicious fruit every single day. Love it. What is your favorite way to self-care? Oh, well, I really actually love mindfulness meditation. I do love to sit and just get quiet and tune inward. And if I can do that for like 20 to 30 minutes, uh, I just feel so recharged after. Oh, I love it so much. I need to get into that more <laughs> like goal of mine. Uh, and then if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, you know what? I, I feel like I already do. And I feel like it's my intuition. And I feel like mindfulness is, uh, was what helps me really hone into my intuition. So <laughs> I love that. You're like, I already, already got a superpower. <laughs> um, awesome. And if you could, um, or what does balance mean to you? Mm. Balance, I feel like it's this concept that's so, it's so elusive. And it's one of those things, I feel like it can feel like a lot of pressure to achieve balance. So I actually, it's not something I strive for. It's like, it, it looks different every day, but as long as I am making time for myself, having some quiet time, some downtime, and I feel like I'm making my decisions from a place of authenticity, that's kind of good enough for me. <laughs> I love it so much. Well, thank you so much for being here. Tell us like, how can people find you? How can they work with you? Let us know all of your things you're working on. Oh, thank you. Well, it was my pleasure to have this conversation and I would love it if you follow me on Instagram. You can find me, my practice name is called Welcome Home and that's with two L's. So you can find me on Instagram. It's welcome.home or it's actually hi.welcome.home. And my website is hiwelcomehome.com. That's welcome with two L's or you can just look me up by my name. It's Sharon Bannon. Awesome. And all of this will be like in show notes so you guys can go like super easy shono click boom there it is <laughs> amazing well thank you so much again for being on this podcast with me i'm sure the audience is going to get so so much out of it um so thank you for being here thank you wasn't this podcast recording so amazing i love sharing soothing voice I, I don't know if you guys thought that like wow like how calming and wonderful and buttery was her voice it was so so good um, I hope you really enjoyed this podcast and I'd love to know like how are you or how do you include mindfulness into your day so go to my Instagram comment on the podcast post let us know like how do you bring in mindfulness into your day? I want to know. Let's support each other through this. Again, I hope that you love this podcast episode. And if you feel the pull, please leave us a review and rating. I really, really appreciate it. I read all of them. They warm my heart. And I'm just so pumped to be here with you. On that note, my friend, I will catch you next week in the next episode.